0: that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP.
2: Today we sit down with David Schellen, doctor of physical therapy. We get into injury prevention, being fit for season, conservation, and also changing my perspective on Sissy State. And somehow we miss that he's from our home state of California.
1: So Dr. David Schellen, thanks for joining us. I um, wanted to get on with you today and talk about physical therapy and where that fits into the preparation for hunting season. Most people think of it as something that we do after an injury. um, And my take on that is it's something that we should be looking out at in front. So why don't you give us some background? Um, Take it away, Dave.
3: Yeah, well, uh, first of all, you know, thank you so much for having me on and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Um, Yeah, just a little bit about me. Uh, Pretty pretty active life uh you know multiple multiple sports uh played college football got my doctorate in physical therapy and um you know really uh I was really focused on schooling and football and I'm basically like uh really getting into the hunting the past you know just two years so I'm real real green as far as hunting but fitness and uh injury prevention and you know mechanics and all that stuff i would definitely uh be more uh experienced with that compared to probably some of the, your other podcasters with hunting experiences but i think uh you know there's a lot of uh there's really a lot of like misinformation out there regarding hunting and fitness it's oh, uh, yeah. there's, lot, there's there's just so much uh man, there, there's everything. There's people running over a hundred miles a week. And then there's people just, you know, powerlifting and, you know, calling it good. So we got two extremes and, and then everything far and few between. And, uh, you know,
1: So it's pretty, pretty important as far as I'm concerned to hit that in between. Right. I mean, it's great, right. A guy can go out and run a hundred miles. I can't do it. I don't like running distance at all um and then power lift and I could power lift with the best of them as far as I'm concerned um but it doesn't do anything for me when I'm on the mountain but first off before we get in that where'd you play football what'd you play
3: (laughs) oh uh yeah I went um, I went to Wheaton College um I started off as, as a running back and uh I couldn't quite gain the weight that I wanted or at least the coaches wanted and they switched me to receiver and I I did a lot better with that and enjoyed that um so uh yeah we had a we had a great team and very successful uh each year so um a lot of um a lot of great experiences and and hardships as well with injuries as well with that so that kind of helped propel me you know into physical therapy actually so where
1: you're at now that's great nice Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about it um muscle skeletal pain and some injuries are preventable Um, I know that and I'm not anywhere near having a doctorate um, (laughs) but I know it right I I played sports Tony played sports um, other kids are athletes Um, so why don't you get us into that topic you know what are we doing wrong what should we be looking for Um, just go
3: (laughs) Um, well I'll tell you what um, (laughs) if there's one thing to get the message out is your core is never too strong. Um, and that thing, that is just a weakness that we all have. I have, and I personally, you know, hate training the core or, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, abdominal, you know, cavity, or, you know, there's so many variations of what people actually think the core is. It's not your six pack abs. Those actually have little to do with your functional mobility, those six pack abs, Um, I think a good example is if you look at a a UFC fighter, typically they don't have these huge bulging six pack abs. They're just lean and, and, and tight and strong. And you can tell that they're just, their bodies are hardened, but you look at a fitness model who's probably taking some steroids and just focusing on those six pack abs. They're not really getting that. They might look good on Instagram, but reality is. Um, those aren't giving us too much benefit as regards to, uh, stability in the, um, you know, basically I view, I view the core as like, uh, the chassis of a, a truck, you know, that's going to be your, your foundation of your vehicle. Are you going to be driving a, a Prius or are you going to have a, you know, an F two fifty that's going to withstand a lot of load, a lot of torque and not break. So, uh, that's just kind of one thing. Really, people need to focus on is you, if you can get that core to be functional and stable throughout uh, a variety of loads and variabilities, then you're gonna uh, you're gonna be a lot less likely to have a back injury, to have your um, you know compensate with your hips or your knees, and you know really there's just so much benefit to that um, so Ms. so we
1: i'm sorry so we hear that right we say core and that's the first thing that that i think of that anybody thinks of is that six-pack right that yeah the ab region right from basically your pecs down to your to your pelvis area so yeah when you say core are we talking you know the the abdomens the obliques um your you know your traps and how that stuff ties together why don't you give us a little background on that so we can understand it
3: yeah so Uh, I would say the, the main, yeah, there's, okay. There's a lot of muscles that compose of the, of quote unquote, the core. So you got the muscles that people probably won't even think about as a core, but they're actually a huge component to it. So one of it is called your erector spinae. Um, basically that's the, the, um, the backstrap of your own body. That's, that's providing a huge support to your back. You have the internal and external obliques. Those are the muscles that basically run um, cross-sectionally across your... They kind of wrap around your whole um, abdominal uh, cavity. And you have your transverse abdominis. so a lot of fancy words, but basically they're (laughs) muscles that kind of compose of a full circle around... uh, your abdominal region. So make makes
1: everything's working together.
3: Yeah. So those are just a few of the muscles. Um, but really it's, it's your lats, it's your quadratus lumborum. Um, even, uh, you know, your upper back, lower and mid traps. Those are all going to help compose posture and the core and the reason why people say, I'll work your core is because it's easier to say the core than to say- All oh, that. Just <laughs> <in the> <laughs> I know
2: that's right.
3: So, <laughs> uh, the the rectus abdominis, the six pack, that, um, that's about as functional, its its main function is basically gonna be sitting up from getting out of bed, uh, waking up to go start your elk hunt, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so okay so that brings us into synergist right or or how all those muscles work together and i think that's where i see a lack of information is is understanding how you have you know this this big prime mover and then you have and correct me if i'm getting it wrong but then you have all the synergists, right you have the neutralizers and the stabilizers and and that's where i see holes in it all um you know, Hey, I'm going to buy this workout plan. Cause I'm getting ready for, you know, I don't know, uh, a mule deer hunt in Utah. Um, and it has me doing step-ups on a, you know, 24 inch box with a 50 pound sandbag right away. It doesn't address the need to prepare those smaller muscles and not just the prime movers or am I off pace there?
3: No, uh, I mean, that's huge. It's, it's true for, for anything. I mean, uh, there's a lot of archers out there that they say, "Oh, I want to shoot. I want to shoot good. I want to shoot a heavier bow." And sure, they're getting their their major muscles, they're getting their mid traps and and lats, but they neglect their rotator cuff and those small muscles, like your um, Terry, you know, your Terry's minor and uh, supra and infra spinatus. The, those those all muscles keep that shoulder joint together and they they help not just the reason why you want to keep the joint together and tight is because you know joints like your shoulder and your back the less stress that they can have on the ligaments and the more support you can have from the muscles the better the longevity you're gonna have and if you're avoiding those muscles it's not just the strength of those muscles it's um, basically uh it's called uh, motor control. It's your body learning how to move, how to activate those muscles and when to use them in a, in um, a proper manner. So, I mean, it's kind of a lot of fancy words, but in short, don't neglect the small stuff because they're supporting your ligaments, your joints, and, um, you know, giving your body a break really. So,
2: so uh, go ahead. What,
3: what,
2: I mean, a little probably off topic, but that you said the minor, r- rhomboid you were talking about. Um, how did? Um, or you said you said well, minor. Okay.
1: So why don't you tell us what? So with the archery thing yeah so with the archery thing how how do we strengthen that system right how do we how do we get from that 60 pound bow to that 70 pound bow or that 70 pound bow to that 80 pound bow what what would be the steps to get us to where we're drawing that and able to hold you know it's not just drawing it right and and i don't mean yeah. sky archer pushing your chest out right. i mean drawing that bow towards a flat draw um and i'm able to hold that thing you know i don't know 45 seconds a minute what, what would be the steps we should look at for something like that
3: well, um, to, well, first of all, yeah, if you're, if your main goal is just to pull a heavy bow back, set, set aside your ego and, and shoot a lighter bow and get really good at that first. Um, and, 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 work on your strength as you go, because, uh, there's no faster way to get injured to, uh, than jumping up to a bow that's too heavy for you and shooting it a ton and putting a ton of stress on your joints and ligaments. So if uh, if your long-term goal and when I'm saying long term I'm saying you know if you're shooting 60 pounds today and you're shooting relatively well it's it's a little bit of a struggle and your goal is to shoot 80 I would I would say 10 pounds per year is is a good long-term goal so if I want to shoot 80 pounds I'm gonna set a two-year goal to shoot 80 pounds in two years oh wow I um, would
1: have never thought that amount of time
3: yeah I mean, this is, this is thinking if you're shooting regularly and it's not like you're just whipping out, you know, your bow one week before season and you have one time to pull back for me, I'm shooting multiple times a week. I'm shooting at sometimes for hours. And if you, if you have that type of repetition and you jump up your weight too fast, then there's a, there's a pretty good probability that you're going to, uh, possibly injure yourself. If uh if money is not an issue, then just go ahead and get two bows and do most of your practicing with a 60-pound bow and and then try using a 65 pound bow, you know, building your way up. So but as far as the muscle wise and strength wise, um you're gonna want to do what's called external rotation exercises. Um, these external rotation of the glenohumeral joint is basically means you're moving your arm out away from your body. And that is basically working most of your muscles of your rotator cuff, which is going to really stabilize that, uh, stabilize that joint. Mm -hmm. Um, and these exercises are not, uh, like bodybuilding go to failure, heavy reps. It's more like using a TheraBand or, like a, a pulling machine with moderate to light weight, where you're really focusing on technique and posture, and slow, controlled movements, and really having that body mind um, connection of focusing on on activating those muscles rather than compensating by shrugging your shoulder or kind of twisting your body or kind of doing these um, compensations that are actually creating worse patterns than what you probably had to start with. So, um, if you're confused on what any of that means, basically, um, I definitely recommend going to, uh, a therapist, a sports therapist, or, um, you know, even just one of your buddies who knows body mechanics of what is external rotation and how can I do it, uh, with good, good form because, Everyone's idea of good form, even if you watch a video of when they see it and when they do it, are two different things. Like ninety percent of the time. So, if you can get someone to give you some external feedback on how you're doing with those different exercises, with a you know external rotation and also with um, your mid mid trap and rhomboid activation, uh, those those three muscles are, are key for um I'm 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 referring these muscles for not just longevity but also for um accuracy Um, because if you can learn how to activate your rhomboids and your mid trap as you pull back and put your tension into your back um rather than your arm then you're gonna have uh at least for me I've had a lot more accuracy more consistent shots
1: with that yeah so what was it I think it was last year I bought a new bow last year and I hadn't been shooting very frequently and I actually think I strained my rhomboid um towards the middle of my back and it it, man it nagged me for I don't know I'm gonna say it was probably four or five months to the point where it got I got nervous going into elk season um because I was constantly and I mean I would pull five times and then I was fatigued um and I think that was probably due do what you're saying I wasn't shooting then I jumped right back on my 70 pound bow and you know, working out in the gym, it just doesn't prepare it. And man, oh man, five shots and I was done. Like I'd have to wait. And then I just, it just nagged me for months. Yeah.
3: No, it's a, it's a total, um, it's a motor control thing. It's a muscle activation thing. I've had plenty of buddies come over and, you know, Hey, I want to shoot your bow. Give me let me, let me give this a shot. And, you know, they're strong dudes. They're doing, you know, 15 pull-ups and you know benching over 225 pounds whatever strong guy and had a hard time pulling it back and was completely shaking holding my 68 pound bow you know and uh for me i, I pull it back and you know they they, they underestimated what, what
2: what it took it you know, yeah.
3: and they didn't have like i said they didn't have the the, the proper technique or muscle activation which are all important
1: so we, we had some fun on Thanksgiving. doing yeah, that we with did. Family. <laughs> we got a couple of really big guys, man, that could lift a lot of weight. And we did the same thing. Hey, they want to go out in the back and yeah, shoot? Yeah, come and try it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so common injuries uh, from hunting. You see a lot of ankles. Um, you see a lot of knees. How does that tie into this, call it an imbalance of... Information, I guess, when it comes to these plans, these workout plans or routines, Um, you got your ACL and MCL. In my opinion, um, or for when I've seen guys getting hurt, um, you know, you're training flat land. Yeah, you could run, you know, ten miles, and you could hit the gym two, three hours a day. You get out there, and you know, you're a little off balance. Slip, you push, and then you know, oh man, I tore my ACL. So, how do we, how do we get into the realm where we're looking at this right where there's no way that all of us are going to sit down and understand all these small muscles. Is there a focus at the beginning of our, I don't know, preparation for season, right? Everybody's going to, if not started already, everybody's going to start here in the next couple months, getting ready for next, you know, for next year, for next September. Uh, Where should we be starting? What should we be looking at?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay. So I'm gonna to try to yeah make it simple, something actually understandable to, uh, not get too deep into the details. So for your legs, uh, obviously you got ankle, knee, hip—that's the main thing. Um, if your your goal is injury prevention, your your one life hack or uh, easy trick to to implement right away to significantly decrease your risk of injury is uh in my opinion the single leg squat and the single leg squat is really really great because you when you're hiking you got a pack on you're ascending you're descending with a heavy load especially if you come out successful um you're doing a ton of single leg mini squats all throughout the day for hours on end. Right. So this, uh, exercise in the gym, if you have a workout problem that doesn't implement single leg squats, you gotta, you gotta do it. Um, and there's a few caveats with it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of pistol squats where you're going all the way down and you're getting full knee flexion, right. uh, and people's knees are, popping in their, you know, the tendons are sore after doing it. Um, I, I'm more of a fan of, you know, get, get low. You don't have to go all the way down to the floor, but don't let your knee go inwards. Um, you'll see a lot of people, if you look straight at them, their knee is not coming straight forward or slightly out. Their knee is bending in and uh, kind of rotating in towards them towards the center of uh, line of their body.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And what that tells me is that their, their hip is weak. Uh, the glutes, the, um, the quads aren't quite, the quads are trying to compensate through the joint rather than activating themselves. And your ankle is, is not providing enough support to keep your, um, excuse me to keep your weight on the outside of your foot so does that kind of make sense when your knee goes down yeah it makes perfect sense
1: so so i've always been you know knees knees are in line with the toe even if i'm you know if i'm my feet are turned slightly outward then i'm going to try and track my knees through that movement in line with them if i'm you know pointing my feet straight forward i'm going to try and track my knee in line with my feet is that is that kind of the correct way of thinking there
3: Yeah. Yeah. Either directly in front or uh, laterally to the outside of your foot. So having your weight on the, um, yeah, if you're, if you're doing a single leg squat on your left foot, your weight is on the outside outside of your left foot. Okay. Yeah. And, um, once you feel you'll, you'll, the first time you try a single leg squat focusing on this, you'll notice that your, your foot will likely go down medially towards the center of that um of your foot and as you get better you'll be able to do a single leg squat and once you can do it on both legs relatively well or actually perfectly with perfect form that's when you upgrade to the next step which is believe it or not it's not adding weight it's adding instability so doing the single leg squat on like a BOSU ball.
2: We were just doing uh, them. Yeah. We were just doing uh, that. Sure. Yeah.
3: A uh, soft, you know, soft viable pad. Um, something that's going to give some variability in your surface, um, is going to add instability. And that's when you, that's when you're really challenging. Can you keep your knee in a correct position throughout this, throughout that squat? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, that, that in and of itself, as you get better at that, then go back to the firm surface, put your pack on and put 10 pounds in there and then try it and then go back to the unstable service surface and, and then keep cycling through until the point where you can do it. A single leg squat with your full pack on, on an uneven, uh, unstable surface. And with keeping your knee and hip and ankle in a good position, you you know, you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to rock.
1: So single leg squat, just for those of the, us that may not know what it is, a brief explanation is that, you know, do I have my, my leg on a box behind me? Is it on a box or a ball next to me? How does that work?
3: Uh, personally, I, I have the foot go into each, each direction. So I like doing it with, so let's say I'm doing a left leg single leg squat. Mm-hmm. I'll have my right leg pointed directly in front of me. I'll come up, and then I'll have my leg come out to the side, and then come up, and then straight behind me. So lateral movement. That, so you're doing um, your your foot that's not on the ground is going to be going forward, out to the side, and then directly behind you. So you're hitting all three uh, planes of uh, different hip positions. You know, you'll notice each position will kind of slightly change your posture slightly change which muscles are activated so I'm a big uh, advocate of switching up which direction your leg is pointed
1: okay I'm just trying to picture it as we're as we're talking
2: about it. <laughs> I'm trying to move my knee <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're only kicking.
2: <laughs> so I got yeah, I, so have, my- I have really bad knees and what? Tears me down is going downhill and having my pack and my knees are twitching, so that would help out uh, my routine, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I so with physical therapy, we're all about like easing your way into things and avoiding that aggressive slope. So with a single leg squat, if you're having a hard time with just doing it on a hard surface and and your knee keeps going in, then Don't go so low, go, go low enough where you can keep your leg, your knee pointed in the correct direction, but don't have an ego that says, Oh, I got to do these single leg squats and your knee has poor, uh, motor control and poor, uh, mechanics. Then you're, you're doing yourself, you're not doing yourself any favors. So, um, technique and, um, technique is far more superior than, repetition or uh yeah
1: the ability to just macho some weight up
3: yeah but yeah. that that goes into
1: like asymmetries or or imbalance right when we when we see that kind of stuff um when our when our knees are, are you know fallen inward or medial like you said that that goes into muscle imbalance um and has a play on your core stability as well, right? If your core, like you were saying, the most important thing is the core. So if the core is a little stronger, are we able to control those movements more?
3: Um, you know, yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, it's easy to say the core is going to help you do everything. Uh, is it guarantee, like you have a good core, you're going to have a good knee stability? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Damn it. I, I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish it was a, a fix all, but <laughs> Yeah. So basically, with with the knees, um, you want to do these single leg squats or mini single leg squats at higher repetitions with perfect form because that's that's not necessarily going to change the muscle quote unquote imbalances as as far as like how big the muscles are, but that's going to help the motor control, which means how your muscles activate when you move, and you want to train to train your body. <laughs> So, for example, what I, if I work with somebody who has a stroke, they lose complete function of an extremity, their arm or their hand. It takes thousands thousands of reps for them to learn how to grasp, or e- even if they do learn, some of them may not learn how to grasp, uh, like a lot a of water, but the ones who have potential for that, you work those same movements over and over until the brain creates new Basically, pathways of movement in your um, nervous system. So, high repetition with good technique is your friend.
1: Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I'm adding that to my list right there. I would have never. I would have never
2: single leg squats.
1: That's probably why I'm not a doctor because I'd have never put it on that level. Um, Pathways. Sorry, I'm I'm writing this down because this is good stuff for me too.
3: Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you're doing an exercise and you already, you're consistently showing good technique and you're able to do, talk to somebody and do the task and do it with perfect form, then you don't have to do those high repetitions anymore. Cause that, that pathway has already been created. Um, it's, it's strong. It's there. So, uh, you can kind of check up on it every once in a while, but once it's there, it's pretty good, you know, just, just kind of maintain it here and there, but, uh, just, just getting it, getting the right movement pattern, uh, in the first place is the hardest part. And, you know, your investment will pay, pay dividends later.
1: So Tony had brought up your knees, right? That, I guess that's, that's probably can parlay into a bunch here. So we were talking about it and you were saying, "Man, hey, my knees, you know, if I do this, they hurt. If I do this, they hurt. If I'm sitting on a long drive.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm not driving, I'm sitting in the passenger seat, my, my, knees go fatigue and i think it's due because of my cross-country career you know back in high school but no matter how i sit it's the stiffness or whatever connects your your kneecap or to your shin whatever that is (laughs) that that tends to get swollen and fatigue
3: yeah um so definitely recommend going to a pt um that's just the easy, easy answer right there. Um, because I can't, I can't see your knee. I can't see where's your patella. You know, there's a lot of, there's a ton of variables regarding your history, regarding your, your size, your, um, yeah, there's, there's like so many variables that, that add up if to someone it. can't see you and touch your leg and see how you move, um, it's going to be impossible to give a one answer hmm. thing, but in general, um, a lot of times if you have a high stress, um, history on a specific joint, um, like for example, I also had a, a ACL tear in, uh, playing football and, you know, it was not a, it was not due to, um, it was not due to physical contact. It was just due to wear and tear doing a normal pass route, took a turn and felt a pop and, and it was gone. So, um, there's everyone's bodies made differently and everyone has different experiences with wear and tear. But my big, uh, a big thing with like swelling, like you're talking about is a lot of times there's scar tissue that's built up inside either the, um, the tendon or the, the fascia. And that has to be broken up and it's not, Fun. It's not anything enjoyable. It's basically like a scraping technique Yeesh. where you're getting in there and you feel those that gritty sandpaper. Yeah, I don't know um, bumps inside your tendons, and that's basically those things are are ag- aggravating that joint and kind of causing inflammation because because of the past trauma. The um, um Yeah, basically because of the past trauma, when the body repaired itself, it didn't quite get rid of the scar tissue. So that scar tissue is just scraping on your on your ligaments and joints and stuff, causing inflammation. <laughs> He's making some faces over yeah, there.
2: That's that's not doesn't sound fun.
3: So so in short, find a, a physical therapist who is like uh, Graston or uh, a STEM certified and let them just scrape it away. And it, within three weeks, you'll, you'll actually, most, pa- most cases see a huge, huge, uh, benefit.
2: It's some type of massage tool or what?
3: Uh, the, a- the, a- the and Graston are, it's like certifications that physical therapists can get. Um, I don't personally have one cause I just kind of scrape myself and do the techniques that I need. And the patients that I work with are mostly, uh, going to be functional, uh, mobility tasks not really focused on pain as much
1: yeah i'm sorry i asked that question not i'm not sorry but i am sorry (laughs) i'm over here cringing talking about scraping it oh (laughs) man so one of the things that i noticed i guess my biggest issue when we're out is when i'm going you know get out there and i can go and go and go you get an animal down and i always feel it when i'm when I'm field dressing.
2: Yeah. When you feel dress, skin and animal, oh, your back yeah. just goes into fatigue mode is weird.
1: And I always, <laughs> yeah, I, that, that has to be a core. Th- I'm gonna keep going back to this core thing. Um, <laughs> but that, that seems to be a, a core issue to me. Right. And you start looking at, you know, that, that area you were talking about and how it plays in, but I'll, you know, you're down for call it 45 minutes on a bigger animal might be, you know, an hour and a half and you stand up and it's just like, Oh man. Oh
3: yeah. No. Uh, so it is core, but the other half 50% of it is your body mechanics. So, um, your position that you're in, even if you have a good core and you're, you're bent over for hours on end, uh, (laughs) if you don't have good posture and good, uh, basically positioning, then you're gonna, you're gonna feel it for sure. Um, unfortunately an elk won't, uh, Exactly, die exactly on a table where you can stand straight up with your shoulders right back. uh, I
1: I wish they'd figure out how to die hanging from a tree. That'd be the
3: easiest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't had anything do that for me yet.
3: Yeah, we'll have to get into some trapping and some snares.
1: Something. Yeah, because that, I mean, that. And when I think about this season, and and we're like, you know, looking at next season, and like, man, I got to do something about. Yeah, that. how
2: do you prepare yourself for that? I don't
1: think you can, especially if you're on the hillside. That the one I shot, that deer I shot, it killed me. And I mean, you're talking a quick dress. Yeah, and that was that was ruthless pain.
2: And yeah, then you I think put
1: your pack on.
3: I think the what you can do is basically look at your surroundings. Can you? Can you? you know, drag it over to a slightly flatter area. Can you, um, pull up a, a, a boulder for you to sit on a log, um, maybe take more breaks every, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes while you're breaking it down. Do some, uh, do some quick, uh, single leg squats, <laughs> 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 something to get the blood flowing. And, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people who come to me, and it's like, Man, uh, I I don't know what's wrong. I my, my neck hurts and I'm like, Well what do you do? And they're you know, I'm a I'm an accountant and I said, How many hours a day do you spend on the computer? And they say, Well, at least, you know, eight to ten and and then I go home and I watch movies on my laptop and it's like, Okay, I, I'm not gonna help you unless you figure out a way to integrate some movement with what you're doing because you're just sitting all day. You know, you got to get up, you got to move, you got to do some squats all throughout the day. And, and that's going to help. There's not, I'm not going to crack your neck and that's going to solve everything. It's, you know, change, change up your routine. And, um, you know, get some movement in there. Your body wants to move. So well,
1: That's yeah. like going to the chiropractor. You go to the chiropractor, you get an alignment and then you're, you're fine. And then, you know, two hours later you're sitting back down and, Oh, it hurts even worse. Your body's, you know, just going back to what you were doing before. So that makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. So my chiropractor, yeah. what he tells me can't go back to I'm the much same more, thing.
3: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm much more a proponent of let's fix the problem rather than, uh, trying to alleviate the symptoms of the problem Mm -hmm. yeah
1: that makes sense i mean that long term that's a way better solution um so we started on the injury thing so ankles um that's a big one right and i think and i wear a shorter boot Uh, i don't like to rely on my gear if you will um to stabilize um my ankles um what's your what's your thought on that is there anything we could do with that common injury in the field um, to, to better prepare that area of the body?
3: Yeah. So it's kind of a loaded question, so I'm going to try to break it down. Uh, all right. So ankles, uh, (laughs) some people got horrible ankles and some people have amazingly strong ankles and some people have ankles that can take as much abuse as you could you could think of and and they're fine and another person it's like you look at them wrong and they're they're they got a strain already so it's like the ankle is a very variable joint and i personally had pretty weak ankles throughout my uh football career and i relied heavily on um ankle ankle wraps and tape to support it because even though I was doing a lot of preventative work, I was still getting stress fractures and um, grade one and grade two uh, tears and things like that. And that just kept building up on each other. So I don't think it's wrong to necessarily depend on equipment, like let's say a higher boot or stiffer sole or whatever. Um, if you have a wrap or something, I don't know, but um I think it is wrong to train with it on, um, but during the actual hunt, I think it's smart to, uh, quote unquote, um, I guess give yourself a little extra cushion for the extra step. Yeah. So, so like you see those commercials on, Oh, you got back pain. Here's this, uh, here's this back wrap and you'll never have to have back pain ever again because you don't have to engage your core ever again. It's like, no, that, that's a horrible solution because uh, you're essentially telling your your core to turn off because we have this external device to uh, stabilize everything for you and you are become completely dependent on it, right? So um, the same thing with like ankle stability things and knee braces and things like that. Um, if you're doing an activity... And that knee brace is going to help you during that activity. Might as well use it, but do your best to try to try to um, go with your normal training without it. Does that make sense?
1: No, it makes perfect sense. And then I just learned that you like to get spatted up before football games because it's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Our coach wouldn't let us do that. No way. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So, um, So can we can we make a tie? between injury and call it overexertion when we're on the mountain? Because you see a lot of that, right? You're going to push and push and push. You're chasing, you know, you're chasing that elk, you're chasing that deer, that pig, that antelope, not so much the antelope on the mountain. Um, Is there, you push yourself too far and then you see a a, more of an occurrence of injury or does that play a role in it in preparation?
3: Yeah. Yeah, um, So... One thing I'll, I'll mention is, um, for training, if, if your training doesn't involve rucking, especially heavy rucking, then you're, you're doing yourself a disservice in my opinion. Uh, if, especially if you're doing like a backpack hunt, um, just like how you build your, like a runner builds up his, his body's ability to handle higher mileage um, month after month, and, and and building up. Same thing with um, packing and uh, rucking. So you want to start light. You know, when I say light, I mean light. Like I'm saying, ten pounds, and 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 working on trails with paths, and slowly. You know, kind of we kind of got a theme here of slowly let your body adapt, and that's over the long run going to give you huge benefits and so like for example rucking program to help prevent ankle and knee um, you know issues when you're fatigued is you gotta you gotta train those muscles and ligaments to get up to fatigue with more uh, week after week adding more weight longer miles you're building your body up instead of only doing workouts where you're in the gym for 30 to 45 minutes 5 days a week and that's it and your body's not used to going past that point you got to do some rucking where you're walking for for more than you know 2 or 3 hours at a time and you know people do this for fun it's called backpacking they <laughs> just go out and walk you know so go find a place that's got a cool view even if even if, even if you have to travel a bit to do it, go find a place that's got a view, a fishing spot, whatever, go with some friends, say, Hey, I'll pack all the beers, put it all in my pack. Let's go, you know, and you know, whatever you want to do, just take it up and uh, you can carry everyone's lunch, whatever. And that'll be your rucking workout. And that is basically exposing your ligaments, your joints, and your muscles to a longer duration of, uh, of a hunt and, and increasing that stability. So, Yes. When you're fatigued, like that's definitely gonna, that's when the chances of injury do increase, but doing some type of um, uh, integrated slow progression rucking program is, is a nice way to help your body be prepared for that.
1: So that, that kind of, that was perfect. I mean, watch this segue. So proprioceptive training, right? Training in an environment or getting prepared for the activity. Right. So most of us, again, gym train, flatland train, uh, especially here. I mean, yeah. you know, we we have a thing called the SoCal six pack, which which will do getting ready for season. And that's our ruck training. There's a I don't know, peaks or what. 8,000 to about 11,000. Yeah, somewhere around there. um, Until we drive up north and we get up to 14. Um, But the importance of that integrated training or proprioceptive environment um, is huge, right? I mean, that flat landing and thinking that we're going to hit the mountain is just absurd (laughs) to me.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, definitely integrating your workout into the terrain, the altitude. the weather, the climate, your clothes, your boots, getting your, uh, yeah, your, your body adapted to, it's like, you're not going to go, you're not going to play football and play flag football all year long and then show up first day of game day and finally put your pads on. You know, it just doesn't make sense. You gotta, you gotta get your pads on. Same thing with hunting. You gotta get your pack on. You got to get your boots on your, all your gear, carry your bow or carry a weight in your hand. Get Get used to what you're going to be doing. It, it's, it's kind of funny. There's so many, I mean, I I'm, I'm referring to, if you want to be the best hunter you want to be you, sure you can, you can just throw your boots on once a year and your pack on once a year and still be successful. But You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to go as far. You're not going to last as long. You're not going to be thinking straight and risk for injury are higher. And you're just limit, you're, you're just limiting yourself. So, um, you know, that's kind of what what I'm thinking about. And
1: and that makes, um, here's another segue, right? Is the mental preparation in the, in the physical challenges you put yourself through before season. I mean, that's huge. That can come down to, ethics when it's time to make a shot right if i'm not prepared and i'm fatigued i'm breathing hard and i'm going to take this you know for the lack of a better word willy-nilly shot on an elk or a deer uh, that's that's an ethics thing yeah as far as i'm concerned and i may get slaughtered for that one but uh, you know so be it but that's how (laughs) i see it i I get looks because we'll ruck and i'll i'll put typically i'll go like with 40 to 60 pounds in the pack and then i'll carry two uh 12 pound kettlebells um on our rucks on the mountains and people look at me like okay the pack wasn't enough and it's like well i need to push myself as far as i can go right now so when season comes and i'm carrying you know more six meat. pounds of a bow i don't feel that bow it's like it's not even there yeah you prepare yourself a little more yeah. than what yeah. you're yep. what
2: you're going to be doing uh
3: what did he say I, I couldn't quite hear
2: it oh i was just saying that you got to prepare yourself more for what you're going to be doing kind of like those base miles you're saying as a runner, you got to prepare, you um, you have a three mile race, you're going to run 10 miles. So those, those base miles add up and you're going to be good for, you know, good to go on just
1: a little three mile race. Yeah.
3: yeah. I I a hundred percent agree with one caveat is just to reiterate, not to ramp up too quick to that high, high load, high, high intensity, build yourself up to it. I, I have, I am all for grinding it out, getting some hard work in and getting after it but if you ramp up too quick too soon um even though it's got some amazing mental aspects that you're gonna benefit from if you're pushing yourself so hard that you can't even um uh, do a workout for the, the rest of that week then um, i would say you're doing yourself a disservice hmm.
2: you open yourself up for uh failure then huh
3: yeah but You know, I'm not saying don't, don't work, don't work your butt off. I'm just saying.
1: Take it easy when you're building up to it.
3: No, not take it easy. Just limit yourself and, and have set, uh, like a set boundary of I'm going to, I'm going to do this this week and by, uh, week, um, eight, then I'll get to that point, which I could probably do now, but I'm going to do. I'm going to do it perfectly once I get to that point. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
1: No, perfect sense. I'm, I'm notorious, right? I'll work my butt off from, from January all the way through up to season. And then season, I kind of lay off a bit. And then after season, yeah, I'm starting all over again in
2: January. (laughs) You let it go.
1: (laughs) Actually. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to though. Right. I, for me, I get, you know, it's time away from the family. Um, I've been working my butt off, you know, and then when, when hunting season's here, I'm, if I'm home three weeks out of the hunting season and we're starting in, you know, July and and running through November, um, the wife's pretty happy. So it's hard not to just fall off the end of it. So it's like, I'm starting over, not from scratch. I still hit the gym a little bit and then the garage gym, but it's still not, uh, still not the same because I feel it right now. And I really been at it hard just for about a week and
3: a half
1: (laughs) since season. So,
3: yeah. And, um, you know, for everyone who's got their new year's resolution going on um your goal should really be to have no new year's resolution it should just be part of your life and how does it just become part of your life you you start small and you stay consistent you find something that will actually work for you long term and i say long term i mean forever for the rest of your life what can you do continually um you know, it's always fun to look at, uh, an ad that says get ripped in eight weeks and get a six pack and lose 15 pounds in eight weeks. But who cares if you lose 15 pounds in eight weeks, if you gain it all back within two months and you feel terrible cause you gained it back, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, yeah. um, there, there's a lot of, uh, scams in the fitness industry. And one of them is you don't have to work hard and two, Uh, you can get results quick and then it'll last forever. And those are so false. You gotta, um, set your goals lower than what you, um, set your goals lower and be happy when you reach those goals and then continually to, to progress because, um, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to really like take a hold of because we want results. Now we live in instant gratification world, but, um, if you actually do care about how fit you're going to be when you're 65 years old, I want to be hunting when I'm 65. So I'm going to do everything I can basically to not just preserve my body, but to keep it in optimum, you know, optimum condition with nutrition. I mean, I'm not like a nutrition maniac, but I'm just, I try to eat healthy all most of the time and then when my um when my wife makes me um lasagna or something with um macaroni and cheese I'm not gonna freak out and oh I and and you know that's all all a loss. No, it's like I'm gonna control what I can control and when something comes up I'm not totally devastated because I have balance in my life and uh way too much with fitness, nutrition uh, there's so many people that it's either all or nothing. And if I have one piece of sugar, then screw it. I'm off this diet. It it just doesn't work work long-term. So really finding a balance with nutrition, finding a balance with exercise and finding something that you can stay consistent, uh, you're going to, you're going to find out that's, that's the way to be healthy. And, uh, you know, live healthy and get healthy and stay healthy.
1: So before, before you get slaughtered and we get slaughtered, so you said, don't set your goal too high. So I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong again, what I think you meant is set your goal. It's okay to have it high, but you want to have measurable milestones along the way, right to that high goal that goes back to, you know, take it. Don't take it easy, but you know, start off slow and build that up, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, okay. no, exactly. Uh, you know, so long-term goals, reach for the stars. You know, you you have no limit. Whatever you want, uh, your goal is, you know, set that long-term goal. But where people go wrong is is in the short term because that's all we care about. Most people only care about short term, and they don't think about the long term. So. <laughs> When I say set your goals low, most people are thinking goals as as a short term thing of what can I be doing in a month, and that to me is really short term. Um, And I think that's a little bit different than what our society tells us. Short term in our minds is tomorrow.
1: Oh yeah, look at it right. If you if you go to buy you know, get online and you look at a fitness program. I think the majority of them are four to six weeks, right? Shred in four to yeah. six weeks. So yeah.
3: Right. right.
1: Yeah. Um. So here's, these are, these are three things that I wrote down and this is how I see. And I don't know if this is the order, but this is how I, the four components that I look for, right. Is, Coordination, endurance, flexibility, strength. Um, I want to say balance, but I think that's in there a little bit with the coordination part of it. Um, so if if you had to put those things in line, um, and it doesn't have to be those things, but that's how I view when I start working out or start you know getting my my plan together. That's the four things I'm looking at. Am I missing anything there? And then which which should be the first in that and then which should be the the fourth or fifth or whatever it is from injury prevention standpoint, PT standpoint.
3: Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So the PT answer is going to be, it depends. Everyone loves that answer, but it's true. Uh, if, if you, um, if, if your flexibility is so bad that, uh, your, your ankles so stiff that you can't even, um, you know, push off the ground and have a normal gait pattern. And then you're going to have to, a walking pattern, then you're going to really need to focus on your range of motion of your ankle. Whereas, um, if you're, um, a total power lifter and you can, you weigh 150 pounds and you can, um, deadlift, 500 pounds, but you can't run a mile without stopping, then you got to focus on that endurance. So really the best, the best answer is to, um, put yourself through a variety of tests that, um, isolate each aspect of fitness. So go ahead and do a 30 minute run for distance and see how far you go and see how many times you have to take a break. That'll give you an idea of your endurance. Um, if you want to look at your strength, then it's tough to beat uh, a three rep back squat. That, or I guess that's more power and strength. But um, one thing I'll add is, um, not many people think of this term: uh, endurance strength. Um, this this is the most, in my opinion, one of the most important aspects of fitness training for um, mountain backpack hunting. So it's not just endurance because you're going uphill with a potentially 70 plus pound pack on, on uneven terrain, which you have to be strong to do it. You know, there's, there's no in, 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 there's nothing that you can deny that you got to have strength to hold that pack to keep it on your back without your, your back completely going out. But you also have to have endurance. So endurance strength is kind of the combination of the two. It's being able to do a certain task that involves a, a high amount of power for reps of 20 and beyond. And uh, this is one thing I've been really focusing on for my training this year is that higher rep range, uh, with perfect technique. So one of my favorite things to do to incorporate, um, endurance strength is a 30 rep, uh, slow controlled deadlift with perfect form. And what this does is this is in my opinion, one of the best exercises for your core, And for your back, uh, as far as stability and injury prevention, specifically for your back, um, I've had a a lot of back issues, um, from football and lifting and different things. And, um, this exercise is so good because when you go slow and you have a lightweight and you're doing it over a, a large amount of reps, you'll notice that your, your back, your low back, your spinae, is like almost getting maxed out, like fatigue wise. And once you lose form, then you have to stop your reps. And as you get stronger, you'll notice that you're just, you're just more sturdy, you're more stable. And that and that builds up the endurance strength because it's not just a three or five rep thing doing some back extensions. It's a prolonged, static position that's holding weight over a long period of time um so that's one thing i'll add is that endurance strength like another thing uh that i like to do is just get your pack on put loaded up with weight and just do the stair climber for 60 minutes and see how many floors you can climb and um that's a really good test to see you know If you're not able to do some rucking, then that's an easy test that gives you objective feedback on your endurance strength. So
1: we had this conversation too. Yep. And we had it with Maddie last week um, is, see, I disagree to a point with the stair climber because that's great for going uphill, but a lot of what we do is uphill, then downhill, uphill, then downhill. So how do we affect the negative side, if you will, um, with that pack on instead of, you know, it's always a climb on a stair on the stair mill. So how do we get that, that backside that, you know, the, the glutes and the hamstrings involved in that?
3: Definitely. So that's where the single leg squat is going to be your, your best friend uh, because that's called eccentric, uh, eccentric control. It's lowering your body Um, down and that's not going to give you near the workout or the endurance strength as the stair climber. But um, as far as fatigue and preventing fatigue with the the, um, descent of a mountain, you got to have trekking poles in my opinion. Um, Those things are miracle workers on your knees for going downhill and take the time to adjust them longer uh, for the downhill, descent, assuming it's, you know, more than a uh, 15 minutes, uh, you know, maneuvering downhill, because if you lower, if you, um, adjust your trekking poles longer, they're basically extending out. So your arms are in the correct position again, compared to where they are on flat ground. Um, you want your elbows around 90 degrees at rest and, um, lowering them down and putting a little bit extra weight as you step um that's gonna greatly save your knees
1: oh, wow! i would have never see i would never thought going downhill use with the track. trekking poles i use them all you know i they'll be in my pack going down and then you know pop them out when you're when you that pack gets heavy with you know with whatever you harvest and you know going uphill up i gotta have those poles i've noticed though that i mean even flat they're huge um, and helping carry some of that load—it's amazing. I've never even tried it. Oh, I've right. heard—I've
2: heard they're sissy poles. <laughs> uh,
1: you call them whatever you want. I just like, like David said, I after last season, I totally believe in in them. Sissy <laughs> sticks. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care. Whatever. Call them what you will. I'm using them. <laughs> yeah. Like using
3: them. Um, on my uh, on this this year's uh, elk that I got. of the pack out was downhill and that was over two miles of, uh, terrain off trail and the trekking poles literally saved me. And this is a, keep in mind, this is a solo, solo pack out. And I, 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 I don't think I would have been able to do it as efficiently or as safely without the trekking poles. Um, especially going downhill that long of a period of time. Um, So it, believe it or not, it was easier for me. I was getting more fatigued going up the hill without, you know, going back to get the second load of meat than I was going downhill with the trekking poles because what I was doing with the trekking poles is I was putting them out far enough in front of me where it's kind of decreasing my momentum. And, Kind of putting a soft little break and uh, putting quite a bit of load through my arms each step to slow me down and take a lot off my knees and it made the pack out. Uh, it, don't get me wrong, it was still tough, but my I, my knees weren't swollen at the end and um, I wasn't sore in the knees at all. It was mostly just fatigue in the thighs, I don't which is know. what you want.
1: I don't know how accurate it is, but I heard that they help with like 30% of the load. And I'm not, like I said, I don't know how accurate that is, but that's one of the th- reasons that I got them. Hmm. I was like, man, if there's that much transfer and I can save that much more energy using those, I'm all for it.
3: Yeah. I mean, for downhill, for downhill, I would argue it's more.
1: Wow. More than, than 30%. 30%. Wow. See, there yeah. you go. Call them sissy's <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, I'm try it. They're smart sticks.
2: They're smart sticks. Smart <laughs> got,
1: a, got a doctor using them. So we've been kind of technical. Uh, we want to hear about this elk
2: hunt, man.
3: Yeah, let's hear that. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, this is this was my first elk hunt uh, ever, and um, I basically uh, listened to podcasts, read everything I could, and I had no relatives or family members to kind of hold my hand and walk me through it. But I just got, got a tag and just went after it um, over the counter um, public land hunt. And, um, you know, really it was, it was awesome just learning about the elk. I mean, I I love elk. Um, They're just, they're just, there's just no, no animals that, you know, are like it. It's, it's insane. Um, The country, how, how swiftly they move yet how big they are uh the the sounds man it, it just everything about it just fired me up um i basically i had i had the only thing that helped me was uh i had a connection that said go check out this unit and that was it and everything else was on my own
1: what state
3: and this is in idaho idaho yep and it's pretty overwhelming even just even just starting with a unit you don't know where to start and what what to do but uh (laughs) like i i think i definitely got lucky getting an elk my first year uh my first elk hunt or first time even going elk hunting definitely huge amount of luck but also um utilize the resources that we have out there i mean obviously podcasts like this um YouTube videos, books, I read plenty of books and I just kind of treated my elk hunt like I would, um, an academic test, you know, really just prepare for it and think of all the uh, possible quote unquote, or not, I guess, questions that, uh, hypothetical questions or explain.
1: Yeah. yeah, the what-ifs are huge. I, I'd been hunting a while and, yeah, just had my first elk hunt last year in Wyoming. And, man, it's. I was smiling when you were trying to describe it because it's almost indescribable, right? I mean, it's just phenomenal the way they move and their size and they're screaming at you and you're just, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah,
3: yeah I, was, I was fortunate enough to get into elk on my third night after, uh, I think it was over – 20 miles of, of hiking and bugling. Um, but by the third night I had gotten into them and they were bugling literally from, uh, midnight till, uh, seven in the morning, uh, just keeping me up all night. Just, I was, I was like, <laughs> just jittery and so excited. Cause they were bugling within 300 yards from me just the whole night. And it was just Yeah. It it was, it was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. No no experience can
1: compare. Yeah. That's what I keep saying. I don't know if deer hunting will ever be the same after elk. (laughs)
3: Yeah. It's kind
1: of, it's kind of nerve wracking at the same time, right? Because all that's going on and you, and you spend all this time preparing and getting ready. And then there's still that thing in the back of your head, like this can go south on me real fast right they can they can disappear or i can blow it if i don't get that bugle or that cow call right you know these elk might be gone i mean it is man you are on your toes the whole time <laughs> it is phenomenal I, I,
3: yeah i mean i had the attitude of uh my i had a few goals um and and my main goal was just to find them. just to just to see one was my main goal of the whole 7 day hunt and just, not quit for those seven days and the fact that i got into them it just it was like everything else beyond that was just a huge bonus that's
2: awesome how far was the shot
3: yeah so the shot um it was kind of kind of crazy because um i had slept in that morning because i was so exhausted from uh
2: hearing a bugle all
3: night (laughs) like I gotta get at least an hour of sleep and uh I got my hour of sleep and 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 just headed up real high and kept the wind in my favor I I swear I had seven different podcasters talking in my head saying keep the wind in your favor (laughs) and that was all that was I was thinking about is move slow and keep the wind in my favor and I'm gonna. You know, I'm just gonna make this happen. And uh I actually did a spot in stock on uh a spike uh a nice little spike and um he had a friend with him and they were both staring me down because I had made a move assuming that there was only one and <laughs> I had another one staring me down, so I had to do a, a, a yoga pose for about six minutes <laughs> with that moving. <laughs> oh. And uh luckily they uh it must've been like the, the camo or, uh, just my, uh, my ugly looks look like a, uh, like a tree or something. So <laughs> snuck by and crawled my way through and man, uh, I, there's just so much that came into that moment of thinking about the window of, of trees to get through. Do I have the right distance is how much of an angle am I shooting at? And, uh, it all came together at 35 yards, nice. uh, made a cow call to stand them up cause they were bedded and he popped right up broadside and took a shot and it, uh, it worked out perfect. It, it couldn't have been any better.
2: Heck yeah, that's dope.
1: He took off or?
3: No, uh, the crazy thing is he, uh, the blood trail was about five yards. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> nice.
3: Uh, What happened was uh, after I I was butchering him, I had gotten a shot through the left, um, the left lung, but it hit the opposite shoulder and then bounced up and went straight through his erector spinae, his, or (laughs) erector spinae, I always refer to anatomy, but... uh, Basically the backstrap, <laughs> I went the backstrap
1: and, uh, you know, you just ruined that for me, right? Cause now it's going <laughs> to be like, Hey, let's cook up some <laughs> <erectus pine." laughs>
3: yeah. erector oh, spine
0: recipes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I
3: so basically yeah, I went through his back and he, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't walk and he couldn't run. So I went up and took two more shots through his lungs and, um, thanked him and uh, thanked him for providing for my family and uh, saw him take his last few breaths.
1: Yeah, That's awesome, man. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Big time. That's, that's an amazing experience. Uh, so what is the plan for next year? Where are you hunting? Are you going to elk Idaho elk again?
3: Um, well, I, I guess it just depends on if I draw anything. Um, I'm kind of applying all over, um, just trying to build up points and maybe I'll get lucky, but, um, if not, then I'll definitely hit up Idaho again. That was a great experience.
1: So where, what state are you in?
3: I'm in California.
1: Oh, you're in California too. Oh, huh. huh. I don't know that. Neither did I. I thought you were, uh, I thought you were out of state. Cool. What part of California? Central Valley. Oh, okay. So you're not too far from us. Huh. We hunt, uh, Kalinga area quite a bit, um, okay. there yeah. and then like, uh, up by santa Ynez in that area so that's very nice yeah nice yeah um so idaho so you're looking at what we're looking at then right because california would probably be 40 years before you draw an elk tag here (laughs) (laughs) if that yeah yeah it's crazy (laughs) the way that that works um so colorado on the on the front there right that seems to be the i don't know the go-to otc elk draw at least in my opinion seems yeah. like everybody's looking at colorado
3: well they have the highest uh, they have the high, highest elk herd um yeah. out of, you know elk herd state so um it makes sense and they have a ton of cow tags and spike pet, you know there's so much opportunity you know just go out there and just get get an elk you know get some experience and um you know there's no wrong place to go in my opinion, as long as there's a somewhat of a, you know, a herd in that area, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot more elk than people realize.
1: <laughs> and then too, it, it's, you know, it, I mean, yeah, the animal, and I say this a lot, but the animal is just the icing on the cake, right? The harvest is just the icing on the cake just to get into them, just to get out doors and yeah. that experience and test yourself and, See where your skill yeah. level's at. I mean, that's a big deal, man.
3: Yeah. No, I, I freaked out when I found my first elk scat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how it was. And I saw the moose. I, I think I was more impressed with the moose, um, th- the moose scat than I was the elk for some reason. I think I, I got lucky. I'll say, uh, we were, we were in bugling bulls the first morning. I heard them, you know, not far off camp. Our first, you know, when we rolled in and, uh, we knew they were there. When I saw that moose scat, I was like, that was impressive. That was something else. I didn't expect <laughs> to see it. I didn't. I just didn't expect to see a uh, moose, you know, saw the <laughs> s- saw the scat. And then I think it was the second or third day um, we're walking down a, a trailhead and there's this big old moose just standing there. And that's, that was something else too.
3: Wow. Yeah.
1: I don't compare to the, uh, definitely don't compare to the elk uh, as far yeah. as well. I haven't hunted them yet, but. We'll see how that goes. So back into the fitness and preparation. So you kind of mentioned it earlier and you said that, you know, it should be something that you're doing all the time, right? But when do you really target, you know, hey, David, um, you know, it's time to be ready for season. Two months ahead, a month ahead, two weeks ahead. When is that fit for season in your your plan book there?
3: Uh, Yeah, so... I'm afraid to answer this because I feel like there's going to be 90% of people who forget everything that I said earlier. And then just say, Oh, he said this amount of time and I'm going to start my workout X amount of weeks before my, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Like, uh, man, it's tough to put a number on it, but I would say it's relative to what kind of shape you're in. Uh, that for me, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a two month really high ramp up uh, to really kick into gear. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, you know, trying to train throughout the year. Um, so that seems to be like enough time to really, uh, cause I, I've at this point I've only got maybe a week or two of, uh, out of state hunting. And the reason why I go through all this effort is to have no limitations or, uh, you know, reduce as many limitations as I can, um, through fitness and get the most out of my one or two week experience. So, um, if you have the luxury of having, you know, the elk woods in your backyard and you can hunt every single weekend and take a week off here and there, then it may not be that as critical to be in crazy good shape or to, um, because you're going out there and getting exercise and doing your hunting more in the train that you want to be in. So um, for someone who has easy access and, you know, it may not be as intense or a structured program, but if if you only got a week or two to hunt out of state, you got to make the most out of it. And I would, I would say for most people, two months has got to be a minimum, uh, of really almost, you know, at least five days a week doing something, uh, geared towards it, uh, fitness wise, uh, shooting wise, um, gear wise, getting doing some backpacking trips, trying out your gear, uh, loading up your pack and, um, you know, just the preparation is, is, is half the fun, you know, Mm
1: -hmm so two months so september season we're looking at what is that june june july should be ready for season and then hitting it hard all your gear and everything and i know i'm ready at that two month mark prior to season
3: yep yep because i mean if you can if you can do that then if you're here's the problem if you're trying to get into shape uh a month before your hunt
1: oh you're done (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're you're
3: missing out on so many things that you should be focusing on, like spending more time on your Onyx maps or Google Maps and scouting online or uh shooting with your broadheads on, um, trying out your boots, uh, you know, all that stuff that's that so many people will skip by and not think about and then when they they have a blister on their foot or their arrows not shooting straight because they never tested their broadheads, then they wonder why they missed the animal of a lifetime,
1: you know. Mm-hmm. Um so really important topic uh for me. Well Tony as well. Um but conservation. Big uh, one. That one that's a huge one to me. Um and I and I'll probably reiterate this till it's you know, people are getting tired of it. So you hear I'm a hunter that makes me a conservationist because I buy a tag, we pay a excise tax on our gear. Um, and that's my contribution to conservation. So one, what's your thought on that? Uh, and then I'll let you go off if you will, on your hot topic for conservation and and where, what it means to you.
3: Yeah. Um, well, (laughs) Yes, we, hunters are, hunting is conservation. Uh, there's, without a doubt, you look at the data, look at the research, all, all the money that comes from hunting and the hunting community. I think Steve Renella or I, Steve Ranella mentioned this. He said, uh, from meat eater, if someone wants to, if there's going to be hunters that want to hunt an animal, that hunt, that animal will always exist. It won't, will not go extinct because hunters, we have a passion for something. We're going to do everything it takes to make sure that animal survives and, and lives, so we can continue to hunt it. And we want it to have a flourishing environment in abundance. And, uh, and so it's just, it's a really, uh, I don't think many people can have that viewpoint who are non hunters of, Oh, wow. Hunters want more animals so they can hunt them more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. I guess that makes sense. You know, it, it's good because, um, I mean, if, if you have a business model where um, let's say you're a timber company and you're, you're taking these trees and you don't have any replanting plan, your business is not going to last very long. And the hunting industry is so strong and we're so uh, passionate about it that we want a business model. That's going to be replenishing. We want these resources to be renewed. Um, I'm, I'm part of, uh, you know, right after my first elk hunt, I, I signed up on the Rocky mountain elk foundation Um, that it just didn't make sense to me to not become a part of that because it's a foundation that is much bigger, has more resources than I could ever possibly have to deal with the nitty, you know, the, the gritty parts of politics and yep. uh, the, the the stuff that I would never even have a finger to touch on mm-hmm. uh, with state laws and, you know, there's just so much benefit to adding what you can to an organization like that, whether it's wild sheep foundation or Rocky mountain elk foundation or whatever it is that you're passionate about, or you're just passionate about wildlife in general. uh, It's, it's just a great cause, not just for the elk or the elk habitat, but also for uh, preserving um, the hunting community, uh, you know, long-term.
1: And I think there's, you know, and and it's kind of over, I don't know if it's overlooked. I shouldn't say that, but you know it's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, so if the elk are benefiting, all the other wildlife is benefiting in in that habitat restoration or, you know, opening up habitat uh, that's private landlocked. Um, everything benefits from that, so that's it's yeah. a big deal. So I'm gonna challenge you a little bit: is a forty dollar membership a year enough when it comes to doing something?
3: is it enough when it comes to doing something?
1: Yeah. I mean, no. is that, is that enough mean- effort on, on an individual's part, right? The guys, like I said, excise tax, hunting license tags, you know, there's a contribution to wildlife programs. And then you got, you know, RMEF, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, we buy a 40, you know, 35, $40 membership. We get a free sticker, a knife, a bag or something. Is that enough? So, uh,
3: no, it's not enough. Um, one of the, beyond just finances of it, of whatever X amount of money you give, it's um, how, how are you portraying the elk, or I mean, uh, I guess the hunting community in general. How are you uh, communicating and displaying uh, what hunting is to those who are not hunters and who are unsure what they think about it, or they're not really um informed on all these awesome benefits that we as hunters we know and uh, are a part of but what are you doing to your community to help bridge the gap between non-hunters and hunters in promoting uh conservation and help helping people through social media through your conversations your dinners whatever um how, how are you portraying it? Are you, um, in my opinion, I don't think, I think there is certain things you shouldn't and shouldn't post on Instagram that are going to be, is you know, you should ask yourself, is this going to benefit, uh, the elk hunting community, or is this potentially going to be a weapon for an anti-hunter to use against, against me?
1: So what do so you I think, what do you say to a guy that says, screw him? I'm tired of catching flack and just, I'm going to post it anyway.
3: If he says, screw them. Then he's actually just screwing himself because, uh, he, that's all that's doing is, is giving them like the, anti-
2: feel to the fire, the
3: anti- more, more ammo. You want to give them more ammo, then go ahead and screw them, do it. You right. know? So, um, I think sure. You know, people are going to get offended by anything these days. So, <laughs> yeah. so soft and thin-skinned that it's ridiculous. I understand that you're not going to please everybody, but um, you know, as long as you're you you have a little extra filter uh, in your head of you know is this beneficial or is this not, and just ask that question. I think that's a great step. Mm-hmm.
1: Heck yeah, I, I applaud that that response. I don't think that there's enough. Well, again, I shouldn't say that, but I don't think that there's enough thought that goes into that um, with enough people. Because we are portrayed in a murderous light. Yeah. For whatever reason. It's crazy to me while they're yeah. biting that big old T bone or burger. Um, yeah, so. Exactly.
3: Cause, I mean, just one more point to that. Like, um, you don't see. Um, you don't, you don't see a beef company showing a video of them slitting the throat and watching the, the blood gush out and then going through the chopping process of when the, when the hides still on of the cow, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not part of their promotion. They avoid that at all costs because they want people just to look at the meat and eat it. They don't want to think about death. And unfortunately it is a harsh reality that, um, all your meat comes from some animal, whether it's beef jerky or your, you know, leather shoes, whatever your belt. A lot of people don't even realize all the things that we use every single day uh, from animals. Um, and something had to die, but you don't see any belt companies showing uh, the death of an animal. So I think it's, you know, I have a picture of the elk that I, um, harvested this year, but I didn't show, um, the the details of and and post it to my, my Facebook, to all my friends everywhere. I I, I posted it just to uh, a hunting community uh, and I, I portrayed it in a way that's not like, I don't know. uh, Yeah. It's not like a murderous attitude. It's more of a a thankful attitude, Mm -hmm, which is, which is true. You know, that's how I felt. And, um, I think if you have the attitude of, "oh, screw what they think, I'm going to do what I want, then just keep it to yourself. And, um, just show your buddies who, you know, can laugh at it and they're not going to freak out or whatever. But if it's something unethical, then that's obviously wrong.
1: So the ethics part of, of that posting, right. I, I guess that's what it all comes down to, um, in that portrayal. Um, but that, that's a big deal. Um, I, I, Shot two deer this year. One of them, I just showed you know, it on my back in my back in my meat bags um, because the shot it was a clean shot, um, but he was you know spraying out of his lungs off both sides. He was absolutely covered, and I'm not gonna yeah. post that kind of stuff. I that's a big deal, man. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, that's a it's huge a, deal. It's a
3: touchy, it's a touchy subject because um, you know people don't want to feel guilty or feel like they did something wrong, but um, I think. I don't think there needs to be a shame game or a finger pointing game. I think it just needs to be an awareness thing where you just, Oh, well, maybe I should just, you know, keep this picture to myself, or, uh, maybe I could word the phrasing of, of my excitement a different way, or just thinking if, if my, uh, if my grandmother read this or saw this, would that make her, you know, queasy Mm -hmm. or, Make her feel less of me, or something like that. Kind of having a filter that anyone can get capture anything and use it against hunting and against you um, should be in your thought process.
1: Yeah, because I mean, anything they can, they will use against us. That's for sure.
2: And it it shows more respect towards the animal you're getting, I, I think. No, that's for sure. I mean, how can and that's the thing
1: is how can you not have enough. Respect for that animal to show it in a, 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 for the lack of a better word, a clean light, a clean picture, yeah. right? Uh, tongue yeah. in its mouth. There's not, you know, blood. I've seen some stuff this year on Instagram, um, you know, headshots. And stuff. It's just like, come on, man, don't don't post that yeah. kind of stuff. That's just, you know, it doesn't do us any good. And honestly, I don't want to see that animal like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. it's it, that's a rough one,
2: and it's definitely not the way you were supposed to kill the animal
1: (laughs) well well in that yeah but there's questions in that right i mean if it's a if it's a ethical shot if it's a clean shot right if you opted to head shoot it with you know i wouldn't say with bow and arrow but you know what i mean then if it's dropping and it's not suffering then that becomes something that you have to weigh in yourself but to Mm -hmm. to post that picture that's a big deal man i
2: i I just you've always been like that oh make sure the tongue's not hanging out well i mean it's a big deal (laughs) right because you're already up
1: against it and again to you know have somebody grab a hold oh look at that's horrible i mean just the amount of blood but then to think you know oh i I just don't care what anybody thinks just like david said i mean that's just crazy it's that we're already fighting it (laughs) Uh, it's not puts a man. weird brand on us hunters it's not well, well that's the problem right is we're already just for branded. those photos yeah. yeah we're already branded so um cool man so what do you have 2019 we kind of talked about what you're looking at for hunts you got any projects coming up or um anything you're working on personally getting ready for your hunts
3: yeah um well as far as training wise um i'm trying to develop some type of standardized testing for uh, my readiness for the back country and hopefully long-term you know I'll, I'll you know get something out there that everyone can use I'm still trying to work out the details on what's going to be the best way to assess uh, readiness and um, and really I'm, I'm going to be doing kind of some experimentation of you know, how much strength and power is actually really needed. Um, I don't get me wrong. I love, I love lifting. I love squats heavy. You know, I, I did all, I did that all throughout my life. And, um, I want to take kind of the minimalist approach to strength and, um, power because, um, every, you know, if you do a bodybuilding, uh, workout program where your main goal is hypertrophy of the muscle you're you're yeah you're gaining muscle you're getting size but is that size and and bulk of muscle actually needed and Mike's in my opinion excess muscle is very expensive in the backcountry you are essentially requiring your body to uh, have a higher caloric intake more hydration it weighs more so you're carrying more weight and if it's not adding any functional benefit, uh, then then you're you're wasting um, you're wasting your time, and you're making your hunt harder on yourself than you, what you need to. Um, so, I think thinking about I, I'm going to be basically kind of experimenting with, um, hopefully do some some testing on myself, and hopefully some volunteers um, to do some testing on. Like for example, if I had a program of endurance, um, endurance strength versus just endurance, and see how people improve on specific ruck or um, high amounts of like 50% power, 50% endurance versus um, just endurance strength. So a lot of things that I have, I still have a lot of questions for because there are a lot of gaps in the fitness portion of hunting just because there are so, there's so many variables regarding terrain, um, altitude, weather, all these things, um, are going to play a huge role. But for, for me, I'm just kind of focusing on what, what kind of experiments can I do to find out what is actually needed and, um, find that minimum because the less work, um, You know, working hard is great, but if you can find a way to make it easier and smarter, like those uh, smart poles, those trekking poles, you know. (laughs) There
1: it is. We coined it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, really, right now, my main focus is just on Instagram at um, elk Elk lungs is is the name. And um, I try to post um, here and there about fitness, about what I'm working on, archery. Um, I want to be doing, uh, going to be definitely starting some competition work. I want to do some 3d archery tournaments. Um, I'm going to be doing the fit for, hunt, fit for the hunt, uh, or train to hunt. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the fit for the hunt, but I'll probably be looking into that too.
1: Yeah. Cause training uh, hunts up your way this year, right? They're doing one in Sac. I think.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely going to be training and attending the, the train to hunt. Uh, and trying to compete with that for the first time. So I'm l- really looking forward to that, uh, here coming in March.
1: Yeah, that should be fun. We were talking about Tony's pushing me to do it too. So I think <laughs> yeah. we're we'll see if not. you do it. I'll do it. I'm not worried about that. I really like the 3D shoots and then you add that element into it as just more preparation for season. So, mm-hmm.
3: I'm yeah. And, play. you know, anytime you can expose yourself to competition is gonna, uh, eliminate procrastination and accelerate you towards success because you, you don't want to be shown, you know, showing up at a competition. And so you're going to be shooting your bow more. You're going to be paying attention to detail, which are all things you need uh, in order to be successful uh, in the hunting. So.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, good, man. We appreciate your time. Um, it's, you know, well, it's not late on a Sunday, but it's late enough and we know everybody's busy. Um, but we greatly appreciate it. Um, when you want to lab rat somebody on that, uh, program, let us know. We'll jump, we'll jump on it for you. And,
2: uh, we'll make that drive.
1: You'll have the, you'll probably have the, the best of two ends of the spectrum uh, in in me and Tony. Um, so yeah, let us know, man, but we appreciate it again. Uh, Tony, you got any more questions for David?
2: Uh, that's it. Um, thank you. I appreciate it for you, uh, giving us your time.
1: Anything, yeah, def- anything you wanted to go over, talk about, um, shout out before we go, David? Uh,
3: no. I, yeah, just thank you for uh, having me on. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure. So thank you.
1: Thank you, man. <laughs> Great info.
2: If you have any questions and want to catch up with David, you can find him on Instagram at Elk Lungs.